hello and welcome to the Write for Your Life podcast, a show about creative writing, copywriting, reading and the ever-changing publishing industry. Bandwidth for August has been provided by Cashfly, the fastest, most reliable CDN in the business. Cashfly delivers all of our content here at 5x5 and they really are tremendous. Check them out at cashfly.com, that's C-A-C-H-E, fly, and let them know you heard about them here on 5x5. I'm Ian Broom, and with me is... Donna Sorensen. Hello. Welcome, Ian. Donna. How's, uh, how's Copenhagen tonight? Copenhagen tonight is nice. Um, having a little bit of sun the last couple of days, which is wonderful. Um, and I've done something new this week, which is exciting. Are you going to ask me what it is, or shall I just go straight into it? Uh, now I'm going to go d- straight into it, it's too late. <laughs> no, well, you know, tell me more, tell me more. A well, a well, a I did a voiceover for a video. A voiceover for a video? Yeah. Like where I talked proper on it. Um, so that was exciting. Well, it's funny you should mention that because I've... Um, I found myself in a minor LinkedIn dilemma just this week mm-hmm. where um, I've been doing voiceovers um, uh, uh, for money <laughs> for as part of my freelance work that I'm doing at the moment. I've ended up doing voiceovers. I've been saying things in a very specific way like this. And, um, and, and I thought, should I put this on LinkedIn? Should I, is this now a skill? <laughs> and um, and you I, did? I, I did put it on. I said I said I do voiceovers, then full stop, occasionally, which I think was it was kind. Of, it was supposed to be humorous, but also I was kind of saying I do do them, but you know, this is not my core function in life, not yet. Anyway, anyway, tell us about your voiceover. No, oh, I was going to say. So you you haven't your inbox hasn't been inundated with requests after your voiceovers. There's been occasionally. No, there's been no deluge. <laughs> um, well. Yeah, no, mine's not as exciting now that you just said, oh, did you do a voiceover? I've done loads of them and I got paid for them. <laughs> but I also got paid for mine. And I wrote the script myself. But anyway, uh, it was just, it's, it, it might, well, we'll have to see where it ends up. But it was just a, a case video at work, which was, um, it, it was fun. I, I enjoyed it, sitting at home with my duvet around the microphone and all hunched over trying to make it sound proper. It was good fun. It is quite good fun, isn't it? And I wasn't in. Uh, I've thought about this as a potential show topic because I've kind of alluded to it in the past. And we do, we do. In the introduction, there, I said we talk about copywriting, but actually, we don't talk about it anywhere near as much as we do talk about the creative writing process and the mm. publishing and all that kind of thing. But yeah. um, we should probably talk about copywriting more. And I've found it interesting since going freelance, setting up my own business in uh, the start of April. Um, I've been. Uh, amazed at the uh, transferable skills. I may have mentioned this last week, actually, now I say it, but just it's the fact that because I've previously, you know, I'm used to reading things out in public and I'm used to doing this podcast. Now, I'm not saying that I don't stumble over my words every now and again, but I've, you know, if I listen to old episodes of the podcast, I've definitely got better at speaking properly. And, um, and, and kind of doing this for free for so long as, a, as kind of a hobby has definitely ended up making my um I've definitely ended up using those skills now to actually form part of my monthly income. I mean that's yeah. what's happened over the last two or three months. That's forms part of my income now, which is crazy the idea that that something that I've done no training for, I've done no 
course. I've not gone to university or anything like that in order to do voiceovers. I've just kind of practiced a bit and, and also, I guess, practiced in public, which kind of forces you to improve at things. And, and now I include that as something that I do for a living. Yeah. The University of Life has taught you how to talk well, but it helps to be a writer is kind of my point the fact that I was originally a copywriter so like you say you've written the script for your voiceover that you did that's mm. what I'm doing I'm, I'm able to sort of I've been writing sorry oh great <laughs> I, oh, don't worry I'll tell you next week I'm not even going to bother showing up alright <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know writing a script and, and presenting a script to someone and they go oh this is fantastic and they could go away and, and hire someone or they could use a service like voice pudding which we talked about a couple of weeks ago but if you can kind of say here's the script and you could perhaps do a rough demo copy and say this is kind of where I want this is where the enunciation should be uh, like it should be like this in certain parts then you provide a demo and then as has happened with me they kind of say well that's actually more than good enough That'll, that will do for us and, um, and you know you never know where these things can lead is what I'm trying to say and all those voiceover artists are having their bread and butter taken from them. They're not even getting the jobs anymore because you turning up and going, here, I've done it all. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Great. Well, it's not, yeah, good. We're both voiceover, um, well, no, not professionals now. Semi- that's going, that's se- a little bit too far. Semi-professionals. Semi-professionals, yeah. It's exciting. What have you been up to then? What have you been reading about in the news and such like? Well, um, it's been a very busy week. Um, went away for the weekend, spent the night in a caravan on my own with two children, two two-year-olds. That was not recommendable. They uh, <laughs> they went insane. Um, one end of the caravan was is the bed. You know what caravans are like. Everything's kind of, well, the, everything's packed into a caravan. And um, and one end is kind of a, a double bed, and when I say double bed, obviously I mean extremely small bed. And uh, and then you pull a pull a blind across, and, and or like a, a partition, and the rest of the caravan. That's where I was, opposite the partition where the bed was. That was where the boys were sleeping, and um, and they didn't have any floor space, so there was just a bed, so just a bed and four walls, and it was obviously their own personal padded cell and uh, they used it to sounds like a play center it was effectively a play center and i i put them to bed on you know snuggling this is (laughs) going to be nice and i uh, i pulled the partition across and uh, i don't know maybe 15 seconds went by and i thought well this is going terribly well and um and then uh, i heard the loudest bang and clearly one of them had just thrown themselves against one of the walls (laughs) and um and the other one laughed and that carried on for an hour and a half (laughs) Oh, I can just imagine. I really there, can. While well, you're sat on the other side of the partition, right? Because there's no space. There's nowhere to escape to. There was. I was on my own. It's the only. It's the only house for a good couple of miles, as you well know. Mm-hmm. And and I. There was a point. I won't lie to you, Donna. Where I sat in that caravan with my head in my hands, <laughs> <laughs> thinking, "This is the worst thing in the world." And uh, just a couple of yards away, it was basically a riot and um and but what do you do because they weren't being naughty they were just they just it was the most exciting thing in the world for them and they yeah, were throwing your fault, them, taking them into trying to sleep well, in this amazing 
play environment. Don't I know this? But they, <laughs> at, at the same time, I was thinking, you know, I was trying to persuade myself how fantastic it was that these, what, what an amazing benefit to being a twin is that you're in this position and you have someone else to, yeah. to who is exactly the same as you in almost every way and and you can just have the time of your life. And um, so I was trying to hold on to that fact as I was despairing. <laughs> Good. That sounds awesome. Um, apart that does well, not for you. Indeed. Apart from that, um, I was looking at, I've just been looking at um, uh, an intro, I don't want to dwell on this too much, but to keep on the theme of uh, my children, they love cars. The fil- they love cars, the objects, the things that we all drive in. But they also love the Pixar film Cars. And um, uh, McQueen, Lightning McQueen, Lightning, Lightning McQueen, car, car, zoom. Um, they like that. That part of the film. Made I haven't seen it. Made her, truck. Um, this is all sort of, it's the, kind of their version of the film. Um, and so they love that. So I thought, well, Cars 2. Let's uh, let's have a go with that. I've watched Cars at least fifty times. Let's mm-hmm. try let's try Cars two. Completely different, completely different film altogether. Cars one, kind of just a very you know. There's a bit of car crashing goes on, but mostly it's kind of just a uh, you know. Uh, you've got an arrogant car who gets lost in a small town and he ends up finding himself and realizes that he's been an idiot. That's the story to Cars one. And, and they went into it. They love it. Cars 1, they love it. Cars 2, it's dark. It's kind of some kind of world tour of cars who are awful. And 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 these cars in Cars 2, are they have guns. And they're shooting at each other. Really? And my boys are watching it, and the, the, there's a segment at the start where Mater, the, the pickup truck who's Lightning McQueen's best friend, he sees Lightning McQueen for the first time in in ages, and they they're so delighted to see each other. They're like, oh, best friend! They do like a special wheel shake, and um, and the boys and, and there's a scene where they're driving along with balloons, and you know Seth's going, oh, Lightning McQueen balloons or Mater balloons. I can't remember which one it is, and uh, and then all of a sudden, cars with guns, <laughs> and I'm watching it thinking, well, this 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 will. This will probably be just one scene, and that'll be. Was it. this also in the caravan that you you had this showing of the video? Thank goodness it wasn't. And um, and I thought to myself, and I'll come to my point. And I thought to myself, and I discussed it with my wife. Should they be watching this? This is a bit. This is a bit much. I thought to myself, and um, and we carried on watching. And after a while, we thought this is just not getting any better. We've literally got cars with guns shooting each other and just being awful to each other. And it was like it's supposed to be like a James Bond kind of parody. I think is mm. really completely the opposite of the first film in t- in terms of tone. So we thought this is too much. They're too young. It's too much. And they looked slightly shell, slightly. It's quite tricky to say. Slightly shell. <laughs> very difficult oh, to say. Hang on, let me just step in there because I'm also a semi-professional voiceover. <laughs> <laughs> shell shocked. <laughs> no, hang on a minute. You need to say slightly. Slightly shell shocked. <laughs> It's actually really difficult. Slightly shell-shocked. That'll do. I got um, cockney when I did that. Um, and, um, and so we, 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 we got to a point where it looked like they weren't interested and turned it off. And, um, and anyway, I read an article this week, back to writing at last. A Roald Dahl book, uh, I will find out which one it is, has been taken off the shelves in Australia because it contains Ooh. the word slut. Ooh. Um 
Oh, it's one of his uh, rhymes, one of his, one of his revolting rhymes, which is about um, uh, Cinderella. So the book Revolting Rhymes, Roald Dahl, I'm sure you remember it. I remember it. I owned it with pride. I must have read that rhyme millions of times. Indeed. Realising that slut was a bad word. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I imagine, yeah. And it's all about context, isn't it? Because, of course, uh, the the word slut now in, in our own, the world we live in now um, is sort of a, it's a word that frequently uh, is used to, um, I don't really, put women down and to uh, be unpleasant and cruel. As I say, it's incredibly derogatory. Derogatory. And all of these things, and um, but one of the original meanings of the word is also kind of lazy and slovenly and, and that kind of thing. How oh, so, is it? Is that the context that he'd used it in? I think. Well, the, the, I'll read from the article. This is in the Guardian. I'll put this in the show notes. You can find the show notes, which will cover various things that we talk about in the show um, at five by five tv slash wfyl slash one two five. Show notes will be there. Um, so the line is, um, it's, it's the Cinderella story. It's, uh, the prince cried, who's this dirty slut? Off with her nut, off with her nut. So those are the lines. And it says here in the article that, um, the, the, those lines riskily straddle the boundary between the two meanings of dirty, sloven and unchaste. And then in brackets, although shades of both are undoubtedly intended to come across. So I think the suggestion is that perhaps perhaps Roald Dahl, he knew what he was doing. Um, but certainly the, the unchaste side of things has definitely, the context has definitely changed um, from when he wrote this to yeah. modern society. Um, so so, so uh, this is an interesting article that I think was raised some interesting points. But it, in general, it got me thinking about what I read when I was younger, because I, I read Revolting Rhymes, I read all of Dahl's books which feature grotesque, um, kind of unpleasant, sort of fantastical, but also quite real characters. Um, and and if you think even about... Because um, I think the Harry Potter films, I've not read all of the books, but the films are quite scary, you know, and, and kids mm-hmm. are inevitably going to watch them. And, you know, Voldemort in there is, you know, it's pretty close to horror type stuff don't get me wrong a mild version of horror but it's not it's not a child's film like a young child's film um any of them um so i i just this idea of what's what is uh what's too much too young and um and and i don't know how do we manage that maybe as parents maybe i'm asking or how do we how do we approach that as writers perhaps i mean of the two of us you're the only one who's attempted children's fiction i suppose so Mm. And also because I used to be a a teacher as well, I think the idea that it is good for children in a safe and controlled environment to experience some fear is actually a good thing. I'm quite with that, you know, that they have experienced all different kinds of emotion and they know what it's like to think, oh, you know, it's it's quite funny, actually, because do you remember in The Lion King, there's a bit where... This is going to sound completely off the wall now. The hyenas, one of them says Mufasa and the other one goes, hoo, see it again. <laughs> Do you remember that? Yeah, I remember that, yeah. <laughs> totally. Isn't it weird how we can all remember bits from The Lion King? But his, just his, that idea... His monkey's his uncle? <laughs> that bit that something's a little bit like, ooh, you, you want to have a little bit of, ooh. I can't really think of a better way to explain it. But I think it's good. And I've, I've also had it with my little daughter, 
because I love showing her the Moomins. I'm not sure that all our listeners will know the Moomins, but they are um, uh, based on a book written by a Finnish uh, writer a long, quite a while ago. She's no longer with us, Toby Johansson, and uh, made it to a great cartoon in the 80s, late 80s and 90s. I love it. It's so fantastical and the stories are so out there and so weird and wacky. It has some very dodgy gender roles going on in there, but it's also extremely dark. And Ivy's had a couple of moments where she's gone and come up to have a cuddle with me. Um, and it's, it's really interesting things. Like there's this big creature called a grope that, that was looking for a suitcase and came towards the house. And wherever he went, all the plants died and there was an ice trail and it went dark. <laughs> it was terrifying as a, in a cartoon, you know. I and was yet- like, oh, blimey. And most of these films, uh, and and a lot of them are based on books, of course, um, or uh, really, they 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 have some terrible, terrible storylines. Terrible things happen. I mean, we did the same with. Um, this is a while ago, so they were they're almost two, and this was a good four or five months ago. We we put Tarzan on, and we didn't watch it first. We just thought, well, this is you know the cartoon version, uh, mm. not not the one with Bo Derek, um, and we put. Um, Tarzan on and the opening 10 minutes to Tarzan is absolutely terrifying <laughs> we have uh, a human child's parents murdered and um, they are murdered by a giant uh, tiger or leopard or something and uh, and oh. that tiger or leopard there's blood everywhere you know there's blood it's not just it's not like it's uh, all done off camera there is actual blood and then there is like a five minute chase where the where the kind of tiger or leopard is just sort of absolutely growling at the camera and the boys absolutely completely fill their underpants, which they do do sort of as standard. But um, You showed them that. Well, I... I but you are, we, we quickly, you. I'm we, reporting, you know. We quickly turned it off. I mean, we did. We had no idea that that was the, the case. It was, it was oh, stupid. It was stupid to have... This is my point. It was stupid of us to have not checked... And it was because it was Tarzan. It's, you know, animals, you know, muscly fellas swinging, uh, objectified woman nearby. Was Tarzan ever a children's book? Hmm, was it originally a book, wasn't it? Yeah, but was it for children? Oh, I don't know. No. For some reason, I don't associate it with children's literature. But that's, I should check that. But, um... I think this is just part of being a parent, isn't it? You're going to experience this all the time. I think with guns and stuff like that, I mean, that's a slightly different matter. Like, you know, I mean, that's a whole different discussion, I think, because of, you know, what it's saying about the way to solve problems. But violence, not nice. Being scared, I think, is good. Yeah, interesting. So as a writer, how would you how would you approach that? Well, if, you, if you were writing a children's book or even teen fiction or something like that, or yeah. or may, maybe maybe even adult fiction, I don't know. But mm. that idea of, I don't know, do you have some responsibility? Do you feel you have a responsibility as a as a as an author? I think you do, but I think that we have to understand that the perspective we have is from a very sheltered childhood. We we just have to accept that. The example we've already given, Harry Potter, and Cars too, and all these kind of things. I mean, realistically. 
Disney and, and, you know, Hollywood studios are not actually making films for children anymore. They're making films for families, for the parents to want to take their children to the cinema to see films. Everything is crossing over these days. All the lines are being blurred about what's, you know, children, what's tween, what's young adult, all this kind of stuff. And I guess people have just been pushing the boundaries because that's, that's the way that everything's been going. Children are children for a shorter period of time now. I'm not, I'm not an advocate for it. I'm not saying it's a good thing, but that's just reality. And I suppose if you continue to push something for long enough, eventually it might actually move. Indeed. Yeah, I guess, you, could, you know, you can't push it for forever because, you know, at some point you're in the womb. <laughs> Indeed, and that seems like a perfect opportunity for us to take a break and for me, <laughs> and for me to tell you about our sponsor this week. Oh, great. Um, this week, uh, the Right Feel Life podcast is sponsored by MailChimp, which I'm very happy about because I've been a, a MailChimp user for, um, uh, uh, I don't know, two, three years now. And um, and uh, I know I say that about Squarespace, that I'm also using Squarespace. And it's true. It's just true. I happen to use these services. So I'm very happy that they uh, sponsored the show as well. Um, MailChimp is uh, easy email newsletters. So if you subscribe to my own email newsletter that's all powered by mailchimp and uh, you can do so at my website slight plug for myself there sponsor within a sponsor how very meta <laughs> mailchimp helps you design newsletters share them on social networks integrate with services you already use and track your results it's like your own personal publishing platform they help you customize your sign up form to match your brand so you can share it on your website and integrate it into your facebook page you can even collect signups from an ipad or laptop Again, this is something that I've done when I had events. So, for example, at my book launch, I had a, a, an iPad where people could go and it just had um, uh, 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 the Chimpadi Do app, which is uh, one of MailChimp's um, apps, and it, present, it turns your iPad into kind of a, an email address collection form. So instead of people having to kind of, like in the old days, if you had a band where you just give someone a piece of paper, like, oh, write your email address down, I'll send you an email. Um, instead of that, you just have a, an iPad that someone can go up to and just tap in their email address and kapow, their email address, uh, their details are automatically added to your to your um, uh, your database of uh, of uh, subscribers and um, and you didn't have to do anything. So it's in- incredibly handy and uh, uh, very useful. So you can do that with Mailchimp too. Um, you can import an existing list into your into Mailchimp. Very easy. Doesn't matter what format it is. You can also personalise everything that your subscribers see, including sign-up forms and confirmation emails, so you can make it look just like your website if you want to, or you can embed it into your website. So there's never been a better time to try MailChimp, uh, their entrepreneurial plan. If you have under 2,000 subscribers, like I do, you can send 12,000 emails per month, forever. Just visit MailChimp.com slash 5x5 to learn more. And um, I suggest that you do because it's uh, fantastic. And uh, email marketing is still by far the biggest uh, uh, way of uh, engaging with um, uh, readers. And uh, and especially if you're an author and mm. uh, a blogger and a writer, it's, uh, it's my kind of interaction percentages are far higher through my emails news- email newsletter through MailChimp than it is through the blog or Twitter or, or, or anything like that. So, uh, yeah, MailChimp.com slash 5x5. Go for it. Check it out. Thank you very much to MailChimp for sponsoring the show. Yes, thank you. And if I had an email newsletter, I'd use them. 
<laughs> but I don't have one at the moment. Or maybe you should. Oh, yes, maybe I should, indeed. Does, does um, it seem like an appropriate time to get out the xylophone? For a prisoner's question. Absolutely. Um, I am. I when I sing that, I mean, I say sing loosely, so I'm not really trying very hard. But I, I have to inflate my nostrils, and I don't know why. It's like part of it, just to let everyone know. Anyway, <laughs> this week's listeners' question. Well, the first one potentially, but we've had some great questions this week. We should say before we read this out. Um, this comes from Jen Faulkner, and she asked. How do you come up with titles that don't sound trite or cliche? And and my response, this was, this was on Twitter, so you can, uh, Jen Faulkner is at Jen Faulkner, J-E-N-F-A-L-K-N-E-R. And my immediate response was, ask Donna, because poetry, you've got lots of titles. I've basically only got one proper title that is out. I mean, I've got a few things published, but the main thing is the book. You have a whole collection of poetry, and how many poems in your collection? Um, around 50. So that's 50 titles. Yeah. And it's funny, yeah. Questions about paragraphs and chapters go to you. Questions about titles, I've just realised. I've got loads of them. <laughs> that is weird. I hadn't really thought about it like that before. Well, t- okay. So how how did you, your, your poetry collection is called yeah. Dream Country. How did you come yes. up with that title and how did you make sure it didn't sound trite or cliche? Well, uh, I'm not sure whether I achieved that, but it um, it was on a short list of quite a few that I had over the years um, as the collection was developing. I wanted something which would explain the collection on a lot of different levels. And the way that it ended up developing, Dream Country did that because the collection starts and ends in sleep. And there are a lot of references to being asleep. Um, but it's also very much about being a vagrant, <laughs> being homeless and a voluntary exile from where you first started. So that idea of home and what you idealise and where you want to end up, a dream country in that sense. So it just worked on a few different levels. Unfortunately, Neil Gaiman has one of his Lumen Sandman books that is also called Dream Country, which I didn't know, but not that that matters particularly. That's another thing you should take into consideration when you're doing a title, isn't it? Don't call it Harry Potter. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe do, actually. I mean, if that isn't a... Uh, I don't know, I apologise for lowering the tone, but if that isn't a, uh, a pornography version of Harry Potter, then I will eat my hat. Okay, great. I thought you were going to say you know, you'd... Add it to your CV list of not making one. That would be interesting, wouldn't it? Someone needs to write a script for those things, surely. I guess so. Anyway, back to the titles. Um, With poems, I think it's really interesting when you read people's um, titles that they've picked for their poems because there's so many different ways that you can use a title for a poem. And I often like to use... Well, I think that's probably the nature of the first collection as well. I like to use them to just to state the place. If something was, if it's an autobiographical poem and it happens somewhere, I like to use the title to say where. For example, my most recent poem is called Engheil Place, is the square where I experienced 
the um, the scene and the emotion and the the revelation. Um, I've also just written my first poem where the title is actually the first line of the poem. I haven't done that before. What else? I mean, this I've got loads of titles now, haven't I? Oh yeah, one one title which I'd like to mention. My one of my first published poems was called "Knives, Forks, and Fathers," and um, that was a, a title which I just bashed out as soon as I bashed out that poem. It was a very quick poem to write as it as it happened, um, and there I, I felt like you know I was saying a lot of different things. I was setting the scene for everything with the title because I think that's that's the difficulty with poetry is that you give something away, but not too much in the title. But I think sometimes it's really important to give a little bit of context or a little bit of an extra clue about what is coming just to help the reader. Yeah, I mean, I, I've, uh, as you were talking there, I just uh, remembered that I, I used to be in a band and I used to write the lyrics. I've talked about this before, how I really struggled to write lyrics without putting in some ridiculous pun or just... Just end, they just end up being silly, no matter if I was trying to be earnest, it would still be the case. And I just realised that I got all all of these lyrics that I wrote when I was a, a late teenager, and just looking, I found a folder of uh, Word documents on my uh, computer here. And I think some are good, I think some are fine, some of them are terrible. Absolutely terrible. <laughs> would you like a couple of examples? Go on, go for it. And I don't even know if these are cliche or trite, I think they're just bad. So, um, I mean, this is all, this is cliche and trite. It's awful. Another crack makes the surface harder. That's, That's a candidate for the porn film about Harry Potter. Oh my goodness! <laughs> Next, um, another another bad one. Friend of the people. <laughs> oh, I quite like that one. I remember. I remember the lyrics. I'm not. I'm not looking at them. I just remember them. I'd like to be a friend of the people. We'd talk until Tuesday. Talk all our cares away. I mean, rubbish. Absolute rubbish. Um, uh, what else have we got here? Here's one that I liked, and this was the this was the uh, song that I put on SoundCloud and put in the show notes a few weeks ago. Mary dropped a plate and everyone applauded. I quite like that. That's quite a nice title. Mm. Um, uh, you can get away with that in song lyrics, though, can't you? Having oh, it's not song lyrics in song titles, really, really long song titles. Yes, sometimes I think that's easier. Here's a, here's another. Uh, I've got two more examples, and you can decide which which are worse, which one's worse. Um, first one is, who stole my pucker pie? What on earth is a pucker pie? A pucker pie, if you live in the north of England, is you go into a fish and chip shop and they sell um, they sell uh, pies, so like a. Uh, a, a steak and mushroom pie, perhaps, or a beef and onion pie, maybe, maybe uh, a chicken and mushroom pie. And the brand of those pies, the the, the kind of the company that supply, supplies pies to um, uh, fish and chip shops, from what you're saying, primarily in the north, is called uh, the pucker, and therefore a pucker pie. And I wrote a song called "Who Stole My Pucker Pie." Mm. Is that better or worse than the girl with the orange tinge? <laughs> oh, it reminds me of a poem I wrote on a Ryanair about Ryanair flight. There's the girl with the orange tinge. Each t- each time I see her, she makes me cringe. Oh, 
Was it? Was that about someone you actually knew? I don't think so. Uh, does she know I know it doesn't show? Does she know I know it doesn't show? I hope the rumour got way out of hand. Mm. Oh my God, the next... I think you've actually got some, uh, some material here for a, for a book about a budding musician. For a comeback? I thought you were going to say then. No, no, sorry, I wasn't going to say that. Anyway, I think what we're saying here is that titles are quite difficult and it is quite difficult to make them not sound trite or cliche. A's for Angelica was because of the files. So my novel, A's for Angelica, was because the whole book is about a guy who makes files and therefore A was for Angelica in the book. And, you know, I, I use that phrase in the book. So that's what I went for. But it is quite difficult. It's quite difficult to give titles to things. Have you ever thought of a title for a poem or a story before you've got any idea what the rest of it's about? and just gone with it and thought, right, this needs to be a book because the title's so great. Mm, no. No, although I, you know, I, I've had one line, which I guess could have been the title, but maybe never ended up as the title. But no, I haven't. Um, actually, do you know, it's really funny because um, I was going to mention that I was sent a link to a video, a TED Talk um, this week, which I listened to, and I thoroughly enjoyed And I'll talk a little bit more about it in a minute. Um, but an A. Hausman poet, poem was quoted oh, I can't even speak now A. Hausman poem was quoted in it and when I looked into it I discovered that in that whole collection uh, by A. <laughs> it's really difficult to say for a semi-professional voiceover artist A. E. Hausman um, he'd used Roman numerals for all of his poems in that collection um, which just at first glance I found extremely difficult to to kind of what's the word to sort in my head and it also distanced me from them. But the poems were amazing. And it's, it's just very interesting to choose to, to not say much about them at all, but just to number them. Hmm. Mm. Interesting. As I'm writing my second novel, I'm thinking maybe my chapters should just be numbered. Yeah. Who knows? Oh, excuse me. Oh, um, do you know, I thought you were going to say Windy Pops again. And I was going to say earlier on that you hadn't mentioned that for a while. No, I haven't. I've not had any. I'm drinking a glass of sparkling wine, though. It's not very helpful. Oh, really? <laughs> Blimey. I know. Celebrating being on air. Indeed. Oh, nearly on air. Um, I would just like to finish off then, because that was a great question. I think we've we've covered that a little bit in, in the best way we could. If anyone ever wants to know anything about titles and whether they're trite or cliche, all they need to do is listen to the last 10 minutes of this show. <laughs> Send us your titles and we'll say trite or not. Um, yes, yeah, so this video... I would just like to recommend it to people. It was sent to me by um, one of our listeners called um, at clue underscore less, C-L-E-W underscore less. Friend of the show. Friend of the show. Um, and it's a TED Talk by Stephen Burt, who is, amongst other things, I mean, he really is a busy old chap. Um, he is a literary critic. Um, and um, a professor, I'm not sure if he's a professor actually, but he teaches at Harvard. And um, it seems like he's also written his own poetry collections. He's extremely well known. I'd never heard of him. And the main reason I want to mention this is because I'm delighted that I now know about this guy. Um, his video was extremely accessible, um, talk about poetry, about why it's important, um, why people need it. And I really enjoyed it. It's only 12 minutes long, so I recommend we'll put it in the show notes that, um, that people have a little listen. Um, so also some very nice poems that he uh, quotes in there and um, just enjoyed it, enjoyed it thoroughly. I also like the fact that he just mentioned that the, the actual word poem is a Greek word meaning a made thing. 
Mm-hmm. And I love being reminded about that because anyone who's ever written a poem and they finished a poem will totally understand that that is exactly what you feel you've done when you finish a poem, that you've actually made a thing. You can see it on the page, possibly, or over more than one page. And I remember the first time I finished like a, a poem that I really, really was proud of and I felt that I'd done work on, and I just felt this thing exists in the world now, and it's a thing. So I like being reminded that that's actually how it all started, just trying to make things that gave people meaning and connected things for people. Um, and that's what he talks about in the video, about the fact that poetry is it's just like passing messages backwards and forwards through time from different types of people. And uh, I really enjoyed it. So have a listen to that. We'll put it in the show notes. And thanks at Clueless for sending it. Indeed. I think it, it's, it's a very easy thing to forget when you've been writing for a while. It's very easy to forget that that's why you did it. And, and I am as guilty as anyone of that. I think I often forget that the reason that I wanted to write something was because I wanted to have something exist in the world that no one else had made that this was mine, that I'd done it and I could always say that I'd done it, even if Mm -hmm. it was just a word file on my computer that never went anywhere it was mine and uh, no one else had put those words in that order anywhere else Absolutely, yeah Okay, so we're going to kind of just talk about something for the next 20 odd minutes or so for uh, before we finish so I'm going to talk about distractions in a second this is a recurring theme on the podcast really just by the very nature of this podcast being about the writing life and um and uh and all that kind of thing just put, putting a glass down there were we no oh tapping a window no well then i don't want to know <laughs> i was putting a glass down i thought i had it on mute i do apologize everybody that's quite all right lucky i didn't do anything else <laughs> it involves bodily functions while I thought no one was listening. No, I, do, I never do that. I never do it. Carry on with what you were saying. So on the um, so so distractions. This is something that all writers have problems with, and of course we've talked about this before. It seems to be more of a problem in this modern world of ours than perhaps it was even just a few years ago. That there are more and more things to distract us from the act and the art of writing. Um. And we've talked about this before, and I hadn't really thought of it as being something that we ne- we needed to talk about again. But I kind of realised that I don't know if I've ever really, on the podcast, sort of spoken about some practical things that you can do to try and avoid distractions. And this is very much a section that is do as I say and not as I do, because these are things that I struggle to do all of the time. But they are they are helpful, and uh, they are things that, that certainly I've done. But before we move on to that, to set it up, I want to just refer you to episode two of a, of a podcast called Analog, which is one of the podcasts um, uh, that's, that forms part of the new Relay FM network, which was set up by my former co-host, Mike Hurley, and a former, former host of shows on 5x5. Um, he has a show with a guy called Casey Liss and it's called Analog. And in this episode, episode two, they talked about, um, well, it's really about the fact that 
if we refer to this modern world of ours, how quite often we will spend an awful lot of time looking at our phones. But not just that, the fact that we spend an awful lot of time looking at our phones when we could be interacting with the real world. And a couple of the examples that they spoke about on the show... One was the kind of the the uh, the kind of idea that looking at your phone when actually real people are around you, who you can talk to, like loved ones, friends, family, and um, and your phone always coming first, almost like being in the middle of a conversation with your wife or husband or friend, and literally stopping that conversation because you got an email or a text message come through, like that, or even just not stopping to look up. I think that's that's almost worse, isn't it, when somebody is even though you're engaging them, it's just carrying on looking. Indeed, another good example. The other thing that they referred to, the other sort of kind of notion was this idea of, of spare time. So that Mike and Casey talked about the fact that uh, the idea of being in the queue at a supermarket um, or a shop or a store, depending on where you live, and... Um, and, and uh, well, two examples. First of all, you're you're being served by someone. They're putting your food through, or you're buying a coat or something. And Mike said it's something that he does. He's, he's aware that he has done is not even look at the person through the entire transaction, mm. and just yeah. entirely forgetting that this is another human being who he could, you know, the lack of eye contact, even just not, not even any eye contact. Um, or the other one was just being in the queue, so just being a couple of people back and instead of that spare time where you could absorb where you are, the fact you're in a shop or whatever it might be, um, um, being on your phone, checking Twitter, reading, I don't know, the football score or something like that, and, um, and, and that kind of idea. So basically this idea that we're absorbed by our phones. And so I just thought I'd ask you what your thoughts on that were. The way Casey and Mike finished was, Casey, I think, was kind of saying, these are things I do and I feel bad about them and I'd like to change. And I think Mike was... A little bit like that, but he was more, much more on the side of this is what life is like now. And he used the phrase, I'm paraphrasing, but something along the lines of um, any time where I'm not having some form of input to me is time wasted. Yeah. And, um, and so I, th- I, I thought it was an interesting precursor, a precursor, a precursor to uh, talking about distractions in general. Although I'm aware mm. now that we haven't got that long left because I've just given a huge introduction but what do you oh, think oh what a surprise um I'm just kidding I don't want to come across as um particularly self um what's oh I don't even know what the word is you see because I'm self-congratulatory but I am hyper aware of this and I am therefore somebody who does not do this to other people because I hate it and it happens to me all the time. People are always doing it to poor little old me, honestly, with their mobile phones between us and them, or me and them. Um, and I have, on my phone, I have a Bermuda Triangle that I literally, it's a literal Bermuda Triangle that I go into. And that is Facebook, Twitter, and my Gmail. Just those three little icons. And I, I'm not developing too much of a relationship or interest with the other apps on my phone. Oh, Instagram, actually. Oh, no, it's not a Bermuda Triangle, god damn. Um, because I I just flick onto those quickly and then I put my phone away. Um, I do have a, a, a love of sitting and looking at photos and videos of my daughter, which obviously everybody does. But because, as I said, I'm hyper aware of it, I don't do it. I am desperate 
desperate to have brain space, thinking space, which I don't get at any other time of the day. And that's when I sit down and I don't have a child around. My boss said to me, I told them that Ivy, my daughter, has been hiding my little alarm clock next to my bed. And it's it's a little alarm clock that I got in um, Vietnam when I was traveling with some friends in 2007. Cost like nothing. It is incredible. Ivy's thrown it off the balcony, two floors up. It survived. I think it's just going to work forever. I really hope it will. And I used that as my alarm clock. All my colleagues were shocked. Like, you don't use your phone as your alarm clock. I was like, no, I don't want my phone anywhere near me when I'm asleep. You know, I mean, I just don't. And they were like, well, that's, that's a good thing. You can put it on the other side of the room. I said, I don't actually sleep with my phone in the same room as me. I want it away. And it seems like I'm, I'm in a minority of people in that respect because everybody uses their phone for absolutely everything. So do you use your uh, phone as your alarm? I do use my phone as my alarm clock. And we do have a, the, we do have a clock in the, uh, an alarm clock um, in our bedroom, but um, it's, it's a bit unreliable. <laughs> and, 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 that, and, and we need to change times quite often so I don't always get up at the same time every day and that's really easy to change on the phone and of course you can take it with you and it's really it's it's an alarm, alarm clock that's wherever you are um you know if you go away for the weekend or stay with friends or something like that yeah but if I go away for the weekend I use my phone I, I always know I've got that backup but on my day-to-day life I I don't want my blue and iPhone to be the thing waking me up and reminding me of everything that I need to see online no, and I, I I think that's a very... Is it commendable? I think it's commendable, and I suspect that a lot of people listening might even say, gosh, I wish I could do that, because I kind of think, well, there isn't any real reason why I don't do that. Yeah, if just I'm get a little, little chat, like a really <clears throat> cheap little alarm clock, a tiny little one like I've got. A what cheap alarm clock? A rubbish one. Excellent. No, one that doesn't cost anything, but that you you know you're not precious about it, and you can have it next to your head. I saw some great alarm. This is completely tangent. I'm changing the subject here. Alarm clocks where things sprang out and went all over the room, and you had to go and assemble them before the alarm went off. Things like that. <laughs> that was a little bit a step too far for me. But anyway, so I think I'm quite good. I'd like to say it sounds um, like it sounds like you're not just good but tremendous. Thank I, you. I I am. Pretty good at this, I think, um, and I, I think I've got better um, in the last in the last few months. But my life has changed, as has yours, since having children. I used to use, um, I used to use Twitter, for example, a lot more, not necessarily from my phone, um, and or checking my RS, uh, checking um, what used to be Google Reader, so checking my RSS uh, reader. I used to do that all the time, and mm. and and I still I still check the news, and you know I, I don't I don't buy a physical paper anymore, and haven't done for ages. Um, I, I check all my news on on my phone, but I am quite comfortable with not having it around, um, and and I'm aware that I, I'm I'm aw- having I sort of see I I think the more I think the more everyday folk have uh sort of latched onto smartphones the more i've realized how how it can happen quite easily that someone just gets absorbed with their phones i say that because i think you know i've been i've had a, a an iphone for several years 
and I'm a relatively techy person. I've been re- had a, you know I've been using uh, not that I'm unusual, but um, you know it's only in the last say maybe three four years that normal people, for want of a better word, um, uh, have had smartphones. Like it, that's what everyone has now, and so you see people who have always, who pre- prior to that would perhaps have used Facebook, um, checked it maybe once a day on the you know the laptop when they got home from work they're now on that all the time and it's like it's 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 a constant companion mm. anyway I, i've i have took further measures though partly because this is to try and link back to writing because i've talked recently about how i've been using my iphone to to do writing so i've um um uh, you know the old this uh fictional podcast script that is still on the uh on the old go on the back burner i was using that to i used my phone to to write quite a bit of that and I also mentioned this on the podcast before, but I also started playing Eight Ball Pool, which is a game on the on the iPhone. And over the last three or four weeks, I noticed that any spare moment I got, I'd stopped trying to make notes or make uh, actual, I'd do actual writing, um, 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 useful things. And I basically I was playing too much Eight Ball Pool, and I thought, why am I doing this? And it's because mm. it's easy. It's because it's easier to play a game of pool because it's over in three or four minutes. And it's just easier to do that. And so I did do that. And like so, control and flappy birds, I lost months of my life. Exactly. So what I've done, I've deleted all of the games on my iPhone. I no longer have any games on my iPhone whatsoever. And I am a gnat's chuff away from deleting Facebook as well. Because I don't use it, I find myself looking at it and thinking. Afterwards, I think, oh, it's the same people, and I complain about it. I say, oh, it's the same people. I don't even know why these people are in my timeline because Facebook chooses who you see, and it's waste of time. It's it is literally a waste of my time to check Facebook Hmm. with any kind of regularity. Once a day is more than enough, and probably too much for how much I use Facebook, and so. I've noticed in a way that it's affecting my writing. So basically, the reason I wanted to say this first is because clearly, the modern world, phones, smartphones, you know, even iPads to a degree, or tablets, um, they they've added more and more distractions to us. So let's very quickly, which is probably going to be the most useful part of the entire podcast, let's squeeze it into two minutes at the end. Um, <laughs> um, distractions. So I just wanted to sort of list a few practical ways for writers like yourself like me like everyone listening to um avoid distractions and the first thing i think is just to be aware and acknowledge that you're doing it so i think the first thing for someone who who is um uh, uses their iphone too much or who is you know interrupting their conversations to check their phone or just not listening because of their phone the first thing you you have to realize that you're doing it um, you have mm. to kind of have some kind of moment where you go, oh no, <laughs> I've, I've just completely ignored someone. And, uh, and you have to have that little something in you that says, I need to stop doing that. Yeah. Um, I think an important thing is that you need to, and this is going to maybe come across a bit teachery. <laughs> um, that's what we're here it, for. <laughs> good to ask yourself at the end of the day, have you had any time? to think about anything like just time where you did nothing except thinking or, or reflecting or, or, or 
yeah, reflecting on the day or look. At, I mean, you know what I mean. That does sound very teachery, right? No, it doesn't. It's I, I, if I get, do any physical exercise, if I go for a run, which doesn't happen very often anymore. But if I if I go for a run, it's not just me doing physical exercise. It is I'm literally the entire time I'm thinking about my writing. Yeah, and it's because I can't do anything else. Yeah. And I think that that will help you. If you if you stop at the end of the day and you think, have I had any thinking time today? And you haven't, then you'll be more inclined to try to force some of that time the next day, right? Uh, absolutely. Mm. And perhaps you might want to schedule that thinking time. And that sounds perhaps a bit daft, but I think that's <laughs> a good thing. It's one of my bits of advice here is to book time in a calendar, whether that's your own sort of physical diary or whether it's, I don't know, Google Calendar, whatever you use actually say between eight and nine you'd be staring into space yeah stare into space between eight and nine p.m i'm going to stare into space or space staring it's honestly we should just it because people won't know what we're talking about anyway if they if we've like shared our calendars they'll just think that it's something exciting indeed that's true but also schedule your writing as well so instead of saying i'm going to write tonight if you put it in your calendar and and, and if you're the sort of person who checks your calendar often enough uh then say you know between uh, let's say nine and eleven that's what I'm going to write. And then you say, that's what I'm doing at that time. I'm not doing anything else. You do leave your phone in a different room. Mm-hmm. And you, you actually say, right, this is scheduled time. Treat it like a job. We've said that before. Treat it like a job. Absolutely. Another thing we've said before, we discussed at great length before, was the Pomodoro technique. Yep. Real life Pomodoros. Uh, looking for things that are happening in your daily routine that will give you small chunks or pockets of time that you can fill with writing. It's a good idea. Yep, so in my case, my, my I've been filling that time with 8-Ball Pool on the iPhone because it's just mm-hmm. 10 minutes. That's the way you think about it. You think it's 10 minutes. There's no way yeah. I can accomplish anything in 10 yeah. minutes. And and so you think, but what? But imagine, can- you can read a poem in 10 minutes. Even if you're not going to write something, you could find an amazing poem on poetry.org and you could just read it just to get inspired. Absolutely. Um there's a couple of apps that I've used in the past. I'm still using one of them now, which is which are fantastic. Um, I th- they might be for the Mac. If they're both for the Mac, um, I, I apologise if you're a Windows user. I'm not quite sure off the top of my head. However, do check out the, an app called Freedom um, and an app called Antisocial. And they do more or less the same thing. I'm using Antisocial now because you can be selective over how you use it. You get more options. But basically, they just... Dis- disable your internet freedom just completely cancels cancels out your entire internet so if you say freedom for 60 minutes please you can't access anything unless you literally turn your computer off and then back on again and uh, and you, no one wants to do that antisocial which is the one i'm using you can say turn off the internet for these particular sites because if, you, if you're doing research as well then you might actually still want to access the internet or if you've if you're kind of maybe expecting an important email you might want to keep the internet on but you can kind of quickly add in websites I don't want to be able to access, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, etc. Yes. Um, so check those out. They're very good, very good practical way of doing it. Mm-hmm. Cool. Any others? No, I think that's, that all sounds pretty good. Having a, a space that you enjoy writing in, I think, is quite important. Not that you can obviously write anywhere, but I, I like escaping into a, a physical space too. So this, um, is, this is my writing space. Therefore, while I'm, I'm there, any, any distractions not going to happen because this is my writing space 
Yeah, but also if you if you've set it up like in my old house in Ireland, I had this like little cubby, and I put postcards and bits of like scrap things all around the wall just around me, so that when I sat down in it, I could just be distracted by all of these things around me, and I just felt like I was going into a little creative space. I really like that. Don't have that here, but maybe that's why I've done less writing. I don't have my scrap cubby. You need to build one. <laughs> I do. Um, I think I've got one more here. It's about. It's more about. Um, I don't know, um, uh, how you approach the actual physical act of writing. So sometimes you can get distracted because you're, it's, again, it's about being easier. It's easier to be distracted by something than it is to actually work and do things that are quite hard. So something I'm trying to do, instead of just coming to, for example, if it's a chapter I'm working on, and I find this particularly useful for non-fiction. So if I'm doing freelance work, I do this, and also for blog posts. Um, so it, it's the idea of outlining everything um so uh, so that when you come down to write your chapter you don't just sit there and think okay what comes next you've already got um a rough kind of collection of notes that you know you have to kind of hit so it might be if it's a, if it's a car chase it could be um which there are no car chases in my novel with but guns cars with guns indeed cartoon cars with guns he could start out with, okay, starts out, finds gun. Um, then uh, then you write down, oh, cleans headlights and does so in a way which is particularly threatening. And then the, <laughs> could be, the next week could be bursts into room and, and shouts this particular sentence at everyone and uh, and this is what happens afterwards. And then it could be, um, and uh, everyone, the rest of the cars are all furious and they all go running out of the room on their wheels. And there you have outlined all of it that's all you've got to start off with but it means that if you come to it at any point you you're kind of just filling in the gaps yeah it's um, going to be way more efficient i can see now yeah a better example is a obviously a, it probably is a blog post where you go here these are the points that i want to make or any non-fiction article here are the points i want to make and these are the things i need to say this is how i want to introduce it and this is kind of my conclusion if you've got all that written out in note form before you even begin the task of kind of the actual writing then it will make things much easier. And the reason that relates to distractions is, like I say, because distractions, in, in my in my case, distractions tend to win because they are easier. It's not that I don't like writing. I love writing. I love writing fiction. Um, but if something comes along that is much easier for me to do, it's extremely difficult to not do that thing because I'm tired or because I've been at work all day or whatever it might be. Um, so yeah, the less the less opportunity you have to find something easier, the better. So make it easier by doing an outline. Uh, and the, yeah, the last thing, the last last thing that I've written is just use pen and paper. And I think this just ties into your idea of um, of having a writing space. I think it's that idea of remove everything else because this is what I'm doing right now. So remove everything and focus. And we all know that whatever computational device we have there are lots of other things right in front of you right next to you that you can do so if you've got a piece of pen and paper you may do some exploratory doodling but um that's about it fantastic cool we've rammed all of those in there we have i'm sure we'll think of more that we could um we can do a follow-up next week if we think of any more um I, I would also like to say that we had loads of listener questions that we said that were very good we mentioned earlier um and we'll do those next week won't we We'll get to it, but don't. We will get to it. Don't don't forget though. You can still send us more. Oh yeah, yeah. 
But Absolutely. how? How? Oh, at The Flying Poet on Twitter, if you fancy that, um, or on our Facebook page, uh, Right for Your Life. Indeed, it's a slightly dormant Facebook page again, but you can do it. Yeah, but you can you can um, get contact us there. You can, uh, or you can you contact me directly personally if you want at Ian Broom on Twitter or ianbroom.com. You can find information about stuff on there. Uh, yeah, I think that's it. Oh, it's great! It's it's gone. It's flown by again. Thank you, and um, yeah, kind of see you all next week. Kind of yes. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>